Welcome back to Ranking 76, where we review and rank the heroes and villains of the American West. I'm Eric. You're not Matt. And we're back with the third episode, but we're calling it Part 2 of Black Elk because, you know, that makes the most sense. But uh, so we've done two episodes on him, obviously. And the first episode was Matt reading his great vision that took um, that took place when he was nine years old. And then the first episode, we took it up to him going through the horse dance. It was a lot to cover, and we're oh, and he's only about 17, 18 years old at this point. So we, we have a long, long way to go for this man. <laughs> Matt, what, did you, what are you thinking of Black Elk? Uh, so far, so good. I mean, I feel like he's in line with the other Chiefs that we've covered. He's I mean, not even though he's only 17. Yeah, he's not, a, not chief. a chief. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just saying in, in line about with the same people. Anything stick out for you? Nothing yet. Okay. Vivid imagination. Yeah. Well, I, I actually, yeah, I was thinking about this last episode um, when you said, you know, he only told three people. But there were times when he would like, I don't know, you were you would say he'd said stuff about it. I'm like, did he really only tell it three times? Or was well, he I just like the, blasting it to the moon? That's I'll the tell debate. you, I'll tell you. There is some debate on that, like, because I think I'm going to mention it twice at least. Um, I think he says he mentioned it to his father, but I don't think he went into detail. The horse dance, he definitely did. And I think what you're talking about is during the Battle of Little Bighorn, he was thinking about it to himself as if his vision was happening in front of him. But whether he was in between the bullets uh, talking about his his vision, I don't know. (laughs) You're never going to believe what happened to me! (laughs) Maybe by the time he's sixteen, he's told everyone, and they're just like, "Okay, we're going." If we do the horse dance, there he is again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what can we possibly do to put this thing to bed? That's very possible. Uh, but yeah, um, supposedly he only teared it three times, but I think there's four times I mentioned he mentions it in his life. So maybe it was an old man and wishful thinking. So, all right. So we'll pick up back right after the horse dance, and Black Elk and his family are located near the Standing Rock Reservation, uh, then called, uh, then they moved to the Pine Ridge Reservation, where they heard Sitting Bull was now leaving Canada to surrender. Pine Ridge, much like other reservations, was meant to hold the tribes to make them farmers. It's difficult in general, but kind of laughable at Pine Ridge. Biographer Joe Jackson knows that only 3% of the land on Pine Ridge Reservation could actually be used for farm. Beyond that, the United States uh, had decided the best way to save the natives was to take those to make them more like Americans, including removing of native religious traditions, something very much like the horse dance that Black Elk just went through. And for someone who was aspiring to be a medicine man and a healer, this might cause some issues later on down the road. Outside of your stay, and very much outside of outside of that, your stay on the reservation heavily depended on the agent that was in charge of your reservation. Luckily for those on Pine Ridge, the agent, and this is a great name, Valentine McGillicuddy. <laughs> McGillicuddy. 
that man was born with a six shooter in his hand. I picture him sounding like Yosemite Sam. And then turning into Pepe Le Pew and like somehow <laughs> trying to steal your girl. But apparently Valentine McGillicott also, it sounds like such like a, a, a fake name. Like you're trying to go through a bar and you're like seven and you're like 19 and you're like, what's your name? Uh, the, the Valentine. Fake ID. <laughs> yeah. Like Valentine McGillicuddy. It's up there with McLovin. I swear. Even that reference is 10 years old. Isn't that sad? Anyway, that depressing thought out of the way. It's 2023, by the way, when that was 20. When, so if you're listening to this far into the future, you probably have no idea what we're talking about. So <laughs> that's a fun thought. We might be dead when somebody's hearing this. Isn't that crazy? And they're wondering what the heck we're talking about. Uh, I came across this weird podcast. You got to listen to it. So anyway, Valentine McGillicuddy was an ally. Uh, he even attended a vigil for Crazy Horse before he was buried. Even though Red Cloud would view him more as an enemy, but that does seem more like Red Cloud trying to keep his influence over his tribe and not having people go to the agent. So there's definitely some political things going on there. Black Elk would live on the reservation and take up a const- and take up the constant changes that of his people's lifestyles. The first Indian schools were taking the youth away to teach them to not become Indians. The Sundance, which we've talked about multiple times, uh, was starting to be banned in the early 1880s. The hard winters would bring the Sioux back to this, would bring the Sioux to the brink of starvation. And Black Elk wanted to help. He can sense that this is one of those times where he's climbing up the up to Harney Peak, like in his vision. And he thinks he needs to start doing something. He's gone through the horse dance. He's kind, I don't want to say he's like a medicine man yet, but he is kind of viewed as a healer. Like he does have some type of power. They're trying to figure out specifically what, what his calling is going to be. So think of it. He's graduated high school and now he's in college trying to figure out what he wants to do without, you know, mind crippling student debt. But I guess just, you know, starvation, which is obviously much, much worse. (laughs) So maybe I shouldn't be complaining too much. Uh, So Black Elk is still only 18 years old and is ready to take on a larger role in the next generation of the Medicine Man. He takes out, he seeks out a mentor named Futales and goes up to him with some smoking pipes uh, for him to become a mentor. In in Futales' lodge, they sit and place his pipe on the ground with the stem reversed, signaling to Futales that he wishes to gain knowledge. Black Elk then says that he offered his pipe to Wakantanka, who again is like the god, like everything belongs to Wakantanka, uh, and that he wanted guidance. Futales told him to fast for four days and to come back. After the four days, a very weak Black Elk returned where Futales held him in a sweat lodge before making the young man ride off into a high bluff. Futales spread around some sage and drew a medicine wheel in the center of where the men stood. Black Elk then instructed to stand in the center and tell the spirits what he would like to do, and then uh, then he would tell it to all four directions. He was then asked to mourn to the brink of crying all night long. So whatever he was going to tell the spirits... It was basically a test of you had better mean it type thing. 
Over the night, Black Elk caught strong emotions. He thought of the generations before him and wept. The animals started talking to him. And in Sioux culture, they do, they do, uh, they listen to every animal, but there is kind of like a, a tier list of which animal you ha- uh, you listen to and like what it means and what it represents. You'll remember uh, Sitting Bull had a hummingbird talk to him shortly before he died. Um but if you had like a bear or an eagle or a hawk or something like that, that was meant to be a stronger message was being sent to you or something that you really need to pay attention to, even though they would listen to everything. For Black Elk, an eagle told him, quote, your people are in great difficulty and you shall help them. Then a chicken hawk told him that he would listen to the grandfathers and they were coming in from the storm. And then at a distance, he saw two messengers uh, that were sacrificing a dog. This is all in a vision. So again, the animals are talking to him, and often at the distance, he sees a dog as being sacrificed by a messenger. Black Elk then fell asleep and dreamed he was floating above his people. There they sat in a huge teepee. He was weary, sick, and sad. He watched the light leap towards the sky and touch the heavens, and then it disappeared. In his place, he saw the earth, and he studied it carefully so not to forget. He saw the morning star rise slowly. He heard the voices of birds mix, and those in the bison and the deer and cried reached a frightening level. When he heard the voice waking up, it was two tails. He told them to come back to the sweat lodge, now occupied but two other men. Black Elk was instructed to tell them what he saw, and he did what he said in his vision. And when he was nine years old, and when the elders sat and listened. They believed Akel would be a great man and he would be one, uh, the one to save his nation. It was then decided that he would become a Hayoka. Now, a Hayoka, according to the Dictionary of Native American Mythology, is ca- characterized by the taking or acting of an opposite manner, such as dressing for cold weather in the middle of summer and walking backwards when they come forward. They purposely try to make people laugh with their speech and often act as healers. They dress shabbily, wear skins inside out, and sometimes red mud all over their bodies. They also act as interpreters of dreams. Well, let me tell you, Black Elk has the interpretation of dreams thing down. He has had plenty of them and plenty of time to interpret them. So this Hayoka might not seem like the coolest thing you can be, because it does sound like they're the Patch Adams of the Sioux, and they kind of are, but... It is a big deal for the Sioux. This is viewed as like a powerful healer. Uh, It does seem like throughout the generations, this used to be a much more powerful, uh, not powerful, that's not the right word, but a much more prominent. Yeah, prominent, I guess, is the way to say it. And then somehow it just turned into this uh, clown type version or like, uh, I don't know, stand up comedian is I guess what it's going to get described as. Hayoka? A Hayoka. 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 But in order to become a Hayoka, you, you got to go through a ceremony. That's another ceremony. You have to not eat for five days. <laughs> We're just really going to stretch out how yeah. many days you can't eat. You know, um, I should also say, so Matt and I recently got two two little pups. And... If if you're a dog lover, the next like two minutes might be a bit hard to to listen to. So it's gonna be yeah, 
Yeah. So I'm just a little bit of a warning. It will pass. I'll try See to see that pack them. of dogs. You got to kill and eat them. Is that what they make them do? It's worse. Um, oh my god! It's not worse. It's bad though. Uh, so anyway, we're, I'm just gonna brush by it. I'm very sorry. Hug your dog tonight, everyone, or your cat, or I don't know, whatever you decide to hug. But anyway, the ceremony to become a Hayoka is not exactly what you would expect from a Sioux. A site would be picked and a teepee would be erected. Next to it, they would build a campfire with a big pot of boiling water. Now, Black Elk isn't going to go through this alone. He and a friend would be going through the ritual together. The two men paint their bodies and shave the right side of their heads, while their hair on the left side would be hung long. Each ritual would have to be based on the future Hayoka dreamed because Black Elk that had dreamed, and because Black Elk had saw a dog being sacrificed in his vision, that's what was going to have to take place in order for him to become a Hayoka. Uh, the dog uh, was killed, and then put they put his head and its spine into a ke- into the kettle of boiling water. As the bark right on oh, cue. That's Allie. <laughs> I'm sorry. The head and the spine. The head and that they cut the head and the spine out of the dog, and they put it into a boiling water. During the ceremony, there would be other Hayokas who were just kind of roaming around entertaining the crowd. Two of which would come up to a shallow puddle and act as if it was a deep, wide river and would, like, try to row across it. One plunged in and pretended to be drowning, and his partner had to save him. Which is kind of funny. Black Elk began the main ritual, which means that they charged the boiling pot of water on horseback with arrows. Black Elk then impaled the dog's head and heart, and then it was sacrificed over his head. The other Hayokas rushed up and thrust their hands and arms into the boiling water. However, this was a trick. They had rubbed a paste of red red mellow root over their arms, which briefly protected them from being burned. Just then, and this is where it's going to sound familiar... Apparently, a a strong hailstorm was coming in just as the ceremony was about to end, and the crowd danced in the rain in celebration. So this is now the second ceremony in a row where it has started to rain uh, during Black Elk's ceremonies. So I'm not saying that he's kind of combining some of his memories here, but that is kind of what I'm... That is what I'm internally thinking. However word of the ceremony does spread and this is a pretty good message for someone who wants to heal uh Hayokas by the uh Hayokas, after all are healers uh they don't only just entertain the crowd so to have it rain and to have people dance in celebration this is viewed as kind of a good omen black elk then spends the next several weeks giving medicinal herbs and helping out those around him but nothing that is noteworthy until one family dinner is interrupted by a man named Cuts to Pieces, who has given up all hope that his son was going to die of an unknown fever. He comes to Black Elk and hopes that he can save us, hopes that he can save his son, and a very nervous Black Elk accepts and goes to see the boy. Black Elk takes a while to think what he's going to do. Now, he's obviously going to go try to help out the boy, but this is a 
big test for him. Now he had gone around to other families and he had done some some uh, some healing, but nothing on this scale. This boy is literally on his deathbed, and we're not really sure what's about to happen. If Black Elk fails, mm, it's not going to be completely damaging to his reputation, but it's obviously going to do much more for his reputation if this boy gets better. When he gets to the boy's bedside, he starts beating on a drum and cries out four times and started to sing and began a ritual. The boy felt something move in his chest. He, Black Elk then stomped on the ground four times and put his lips up to the boy's stomach and blew wind from the north at, through him. He wiped his mouth with the boy with a white cloth, and then he saw blood. So that is Black Elk, just blew into the basically this boy's stomach, came up, wiped off his mouth, and there was blood. This was interpreted to say that Black Elk had drawn poison from the boy's body. Black Elk then gave the boy a herbal medicine used to treat whooping cough. He then blew over a cup of medicine in the four directions of the cardinal directions, and then had him drink the rest. The boy was very tired and weak, and he went back to bed, and there was honestly nothing else for Black Elk to do. He just kind of hoped what had just happened was going to work. The next day, the boy was feeling better and was even starting to eating something he had not done in weeks. He could walk by the end of the summer. A very grateful father offered Black Elk a few horses as payments. But Black Elk initially refused and only accepted it once he knew the boy was okay. You kind of get the feeling Black Elk was kind of looking at the boy every like, please, 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 If that boy had a sniffle, I'm sure Black Elk was all over it because he really needed this boy to be okay. But because the boy recovered, this does a lot of good things for Black Elk. He is now, he is legitimized in the view, in the eyes of his people. Uh, he was very busy, and he could. He was very busy being a healer as he was asked by more and more people to go out. But he could also see how sick his tribe truly was. Not only had whooping cough taken over, but tuberculosis was very prominent. Other sicknesses were also uh, other unknown sicknesses took up his time. The idea of splitting up the then the idea of splitting up the reservation into smaller individual plots starts to rumble, but is defeated on the first round of talks. But the idea is planted in the minds of decision makers while all of while uh, Black Elk is is going around healing. Most more importantly for Black Elk, there is a push to eliminate Lakota culture, including ritual damages such as the one Black Elk had just went through, forcing those underground those who perform the rituals. Next, the ages wanted to outlaw the use of medicine men. This does affect elk, black elk, but not as much as you so think, because he's just starting off his career. So for them to really start limiting the amount of usage of black elk, it's not like he had been doing this for 20 years and then he was coming up with the loss of income. He just didn't know how much money he wasn't making. Uh, but again, it's still not like he's in, uh, his life is getting any better because of that decision. Black Elk goes around the reservation for a couple of years and just kind of performs his healings. And he, again, he views that his tribe is getting sick and he's viewing that maybe he needs to go out somewhere um, in order to get like a better understanding or he thinks he can now get like 
he could view the white man's medicine and he can kind of bring it back to the reservation was kind of his thinking, but he does it in a, a weird way. Um, care to take a guess what he decides to do to leave the reservation? Um, we've talked well, about it. I'm going to go. We've talked about it before. Uh-huh. Fakes his own death. No. He kills someone. No. Just vanishes in the middle of the night. Uh, Sitting Bull, Annie Oakley, Wild Bill Hickok are your clues. Joins a show. Yes, he's going to go join Buffalo Bill Cody and his Wild West show. Now, there's too much on this. I'm going to basically skip a lot of the the wild, the Buffalo Bill stuff because he performs. He doesn't really see anything other than he does go on the tour. Do you remember when Buff- in Annie Oakley's episode where Buffalo Bill went to Britain? Yeah. On that trip. Like he is there watching all of that. Um, and they're Performing in it? Performing in it. Like he would be doing dances. Uh, they do re-performing. Uh, reperforming battles, that type of thing. So Black Elk is is there doing it, which is kind of just kind of blew my mind when I saw it. The reason I'm not going to go into it in much detail is one, there's plenty more to go on here. And there's a lot of stories that I don't believe, but boy, they're fun. So I'm going to talk about two very briefly. Near the end of the time when Black Elk is performing, they actually perform for Queen Victoria. And Queen Victoria doesn't come out much, but she makes it a, a big she makes an appointment to just go see the the show alone. And she's gonna say, I'm gonna be there from 145 to three or from one o'clock to three o'clock. And it better be done by three o'clock or else, you know, she's she's the queen of freaking England, for God's sakes. Uh literally on her 50th year on the throne. So they perform, and apparently she loves the show, and she's even walking by after the show, talking to everyone. And there's a point where she supposedly comes up to Black Elk and the other natives that have performed, and we're ju- and she basically like gushes all over them, like, you are the most beautiful people I have ever seen. If I owned you, I would not parade you out like animals. And she then, like, she kind of goes into a diatribe of um, it's a shame that these Americans exploit you and treat you the way you do. Basically, she says some information that she likely has no idea about. So it's been kind of thought that a um, an American newspaperman or, like, the, the story gets spun in a different direction to help, show, like, to throw the Americans in their face. Like even Queen Victoria would be like, I can't believe you're, you're screwing these natives. So you're treating these natives so badly. Don't necessarily believe that, but there's one. And I've taught, I've mentioned him probably four or five times, but Joe Jackson has just a tremendous biography. who goes in tremendous detail uh, of black elk. And there is a section of this book where black elk gets lost. Like he gets sick he ends up like staying an extended time away from the show. Like we're talking weeks, months at a time, right? Um, he stays with a friend and there's a part where I think he gets drunk and he ends up being thrown into jail and he's in jail for a really long time. And you would think this like he's in jail because like nobody knows who he is. Like in America or in Britain, 
Okay. So he's in he's in a British jail. It happened to be in Whitechapel, I believe. And the reason that matters is they're in the same year and the same time as Jack the Ripper is making his murders. Interesting. And Interesting. so the connection is there's like some news articles over are these Native Americans, are they the Jack the Ripper? Because nobody knows. We still don't know who this guy is. And Joe Jackson goes on it for about 15 pages. And I went into this book not believing Joe or, uh, Black Elk was Jack the Ripper. I'm con thoroughly convinced now that Black Elk is it's not. Jack the Ripper? He's not Jack the uh, Ripper. In case uh, anyone thought, like... <laughs> That career path was taking a major turn. So yes, that is supposedly the reason he was held in jail for so much longer. Now, part of me thinks uh, both of those are incredibly made up. Might not be worth talking, but boy, they're fun. <laughs> nope, he was definitely Jack the Ripper. Yeah, Black Elk is Jack the Ripper. We, we have <laughs> solved the murder. So um, that that's all I'm talking about for Wild Bill. Um, he does rejoin Wild Bill after they go to France, and then basically Buffalo Bill uh, basically says, hey, haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? And Blackout says, I'm homesick. I really want to go home. He has a dream um, that shows that, his, that the Sioux are actually um, not doing well, that they've gotten worse while he has been away. And Buffalo Bill just gives him a ticket and a meal, and they send him home. No question. Like, no, no other issue. Basically, lets him. Did I just say, all right, see you later. Yeah, lets him out of his contract, which is a real human thing to do. Which good for Buffalo Bill. The more I hear about him, the more I tend to like him, which makes me really worried for when I actually start looking into him. <laughs> really regret that phrase. I what I just said. Right, he ends up being just a monster. Right, he could just be this horrible person. Black Elk returns and basically sees that his dream had come true. The Sioux on the reservation were in despair. As I said before, Black Elk initially left in the hopes that he would find a way to bring a cure back to Pine Ridge, or he would be a, a much more a better medicine man. He returned to hear news that the United States was again looking to divide up the Pine Ridge into smaller sections. The excess uh, land not to be open for settlement uh, would be used for, for settlement. It was voted on and passed by the, by the Lakota, who were desperate for the promise of the immediate relief and hunger. Soon after Black Elk returns, his father also dies. So it's not the best time for Black Elk. Nor at least he made it. At least he made it back. He did make it back, and he is not Jack the Ripper. <laughs> right. He's got two things going for him. <laughs> He's back. His people are not doing well, and like I cannot stress how bad it was on the reservations i think we all we all talk about food was late or when it was there it was rotten we're also talking the winters in south dakota can be absolutely brutal uh we're talking negative 20 degrees when it's at its worst right after multiple years of sitting in malnourished disease-ridden small shacks can barely keep warm. Things get desperate enough that a new religious movement comes on. And when a Paiute leader named Wovoka 
takes over the, a ghost dance movement that was actually started by his father about 20 years later in Nevada. Wavoka, like much other self-proclaimed prophets, claims that following him and his new dance will return the tribes how it was before the Americans came. In later versions of his uh, rituals and his ceremonies, he would then add in a messiah uh, that would add that gave more credibility to this new religious movement, very similar to Jesus Christ. The ghost dance had a variance of popularity, but the Lakota on the Pine Ridge Reservation really take hold of the practice, and it is estimated that nearly half of the Lakota would actually practice the ghost dance, leaving the other half of the tribe skeptical, and the Americans scared, essentially. They didn't like any any of this ghost dance nonsense. Black Elk returned just as the Lakota were about to have their first dance near Wounded Knee Creek. He had heard that Pine Ridge, that Kicking Bear, one of his friends, was the one that's going to be holding the dance, and that the people who danced had been seen talking to dead relatives. Joe Jackson believes that Kicking Bear, who is now going up to Black Elk, needs Black Elk to join this movement. Black Elk is viewed as a, at least a powerful or a credible healer. His word would go a long way if he can. Right. They want him. They want his endorsement, essentially. Black Elk is just open to it. You can kind of see like Black Elk hasn't said no to a lot of things. He's like, do you want to do the horse dance? Sure. Let's do it. Do you want to be a Hayoka? Sure. Let's do it. Do you want to go to Buffalo Bill? Sure. Let's do it. Like he's, he kind of just goes with it. Right. Sandy Bear really gets him. Uh, in he wants to get him into the into the ghost dance. The first dance was held next to Woundini Creek, and for the next four days, Black Elk would participate in it. Now, Black Elk himself is skeptical, but wanted to find out what the new dance was all about. He started thinking of his own vision and wondered if it was starting to come true. At Wounded Knee, both men and women held their hands in a big circle. In the center, they had a tree painted red with most of its branches cut off with some dead leaves. Participants' faces were painted red, and they used a pipe in the center. Black Elk sat there looking on and feeling sad. He remembered a dying tree from his vision and had done nothing to make the tree bloom yet, but the ghost dance had given him hope that he would make the tree bloom all over again. Over the next couple of days, Black Elk took part in the dance. And like I said before, on the second day, he experienced a vision. Going into the second day, he described that, quote, we began dancing when most of the people had wailed and cried as they danced, holding hands in the circle. But then some of them laughed with happiness. Now, now and then some of them would fall down like dead and others would go on staying around and painting before they would all fall. And while those lied there like dead, they were having visions. And we kept dancing and singing, and many of them were, and many of us were crying for the old ways of the living and the old religion to, uh, to be back with them again. End quote. So after this dancing, again we're on the second day of the dance. Black Elk starts feeling a sensation coming up his legs, where he eventually collapses and passed out. His vision, he saw him soar high through the air, where he saw his people prospering. He remembered fat and happy horses and plenty of game with 200 animals on each side of him. Floating over the teepees, he began to come down feet first at the center of the hoop, where he 
where he could see the beautiful tall tree all green and full of flowers. He, quote, when I touched the ground, two men were coming toward me. And when they were holy shirts, holy as in H-O-L-Y, they came back to me, said, they came back to me and said, it is not time for you to see your father who was happy. You have work to do. Black Elk then soon floated again, returning to his place at the ghost dance where he woke up to tell others about that vision. After waking up from his vision, Black Elk would still participate in the ghost dance over the next two days, where he would again experience a second vision. This time he would picture a full Christ-like figure, even full with stigmata. After these two visions, and after the ghost dance ended, Black Elk was pretty much a full convert into the ghost dance. He believed in it, kicking bear, had his wishes, and now Black Elk was a part of it. The reaction to this type of ceremony was, again, split on many fronts. Many thought the movement wouldn't make it out of the winter. And once it became clear that Wovoka, the new prophet, wasn't a true prophet and that a new messiah would indeed not be coming. Reservation agents just wanted it banned immediately. Like, really wanted this thing banned. Prominent chiefs were split or indifferent. There is some debate over Sitting Bull's attitude over the dance, but he does appear to be in red, uh, he does appear to be more indifferent, if not skeptical, more than anything. Red Cloud almost doesn't seem like he he's he doesn't care, but he also doesn't think we should be banning it. If people want to do it, go ahead, but we shouldn't need to enforce these. But he doesn't not like it. Ooh. He's indifferent, so he's indifferent. They're both kind of indifferent. I think they're both indifferent, but like also leaning towards skepticism. Now, this could just be two older men not like looking at a new movement with a different eye. You get the feeling Red Cloud at this point wanted to just keep peace. And Sitting Bull, I don't think liked it, but again, he was holding, he was allowing people to do a ghost dance outside of his cabin, which made him seem more involved than he in reality, probably was. Some, though, saw this as an opportunity. Missionaries, Christian missionaries, saw the opportunity once they heard that there was a Messiah-like figure, and including when they said that stigmata might be involved, uh, that Jesus himself might as well be the, the person that they're envisioning, and many believed that they could start converting uh, natives this way. Outside of the reservation, the American public in Washington were not comfortable with. Reservation agents again started to ban or limit the ghost dance. Some banned it altogether, while some would allow the dance to happen three days a month. Nelson A. Miles, now a major general in the Army and head of the military division in Missouri, uh, was basically told to move his division from Chicago, and why don't you just come to Rapid City for just... No reason, but just like, could you just bring yourself to maybe head an army near near South Dakota in South Dakota? That'd be great. How about it? Okay, great. Not Rapid City. Yeah. So Miles moves from Chicago to Rapid City. It shouldn't be surprising that dances occurred whether or not Indian agents approved uh, and arrests were then starting to be made. Lists were made up. President Benjamin Harrison sent 1,200 troops to make arrests. 
Now, there were multiple lists of people that were needed to be arrested, and Black Elk was on one of them. But he wasn't... To be arrested? To be arrested. He was on a list to be arrested. For what charges? For being part of the ghost dance. It was a band. It was a band religion. Right, 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 right. But, like, on, like... Not that these lists were necessarily numbered, but you would have Kicking Bear as, like, in a top, like, in the one of the first lists that you needed to let to arrest. Black Elk was in the in the 60s of one, so he really wasn't viewed as a major player. Even though you do get the feeling he was more involved in it than they probably knew, he just wasn't the one leading it, necessarily. As many as 1,300 Lakota, including Black Elk, began to flee to a place uh, known as the Stronghold. And in December 1890, uh, winter had long set in, and while the Lakota would make it clear, would make a stand, it was clear that they wouldn't make one for long. The ghost dance leaders headed back to tell their people to return back to their homes, and the fight wouldn't happen at the Stronghold. Black Elk returns, but now has doubts that the ghost dance is an actual good for his people. He's kind of seeing like the all of this fester up, and he's not sure the ghost dance is really proving what has been promised. So essentially, like what I said a couple couple paragraphs earlier, like some didn't think this would last the winter because nothing actually happened. None of the there would be no profit that actually came. Uh, Black Elk is kind of at that point. But the ghost ass still continued. On December 15, 1890, 40 Native American policemen now arrive at Sitting Bull's house to arrest him. Now, if you remember from Sitting Bull's episode, a large crowd gathered. And it wasn't entirely sure what was going to happen. But it does become clear that Sitting Bull was not going to allow himself to become arrested. The police start to forcibly remove him from the property uh, when the Lakota start in the villi- uh, around the cabin start to become enraged and a shot is fired. If you remember, a horse was dancing in the background like a white horse given by given to Sitting Bull from Buffalo Bill, oddly enough, was dancing. And that distracted Sitting Bull enough to where that's when he got shot. So Sitting Bull is killed on December 15th and about two weeks go by. And there's a very obvious tension in the air, and it's just kind of waiting to see who breaks, or at least that's what it looks like with hindsight of 2020. On daybreak of December 29, 1890, an officer named Forthice, uh, they have gathered up the Lakota, and they're about to take their weapons, essentially. They're, at that point, very not dissimilar to when Crazy Horse was told to surrender his weapons, and they basically didn't comply. It's kind of what's happening here. On daybreak of December 29, 1940, they're gathered up and they, uh, they're surrendering their weapons to immediate removal of the Lakota from a, quote, milita- zone of military operations, end quote. Uh, and they're all awaiting trains that they're going to be taken off to a new reservation. Ten- uh, tensions are that high. A search of a camp confiscates 38 rifles and more rifles were taken as the soldiers searched the Lakota. None of the old men were found armed, but a medicine man named Yellowbird allegedly harangued the young men who were becoming agitated by the search, and the tension spread to the soldiers. 
According to some accounts, a brave named Yellowbird began to perform a ghost dance telling the Lakota a falsehood that wearing their ghost shirts were bulletproof. So there was a ritual shirt that they would wear. Black Elk would have one. Very similar to what Tenskwatawa told I was just going to bring that up. I was just going to bring that up. I remember that from um, his episode. Yep. Uh, so he's saying that these shirts will keep them bulletproof and his tensions mounted. A young Lakota named Black Coyote refuses to give up his rifle. Black Coyote spoke no English and there is debate on this but is believed to have been deaf. When another American, uh, so he could not understand the order. Another American Indian said, uh, was saying out out loud, that black coyote is deaf. He cannot hear your orders. At that moment, two soldiers seized black coyote from behind and allegedly in the struggle, a rifle was discharged. At that moment, Yellowbird, the one that said that the ghost shirts were bulletproof, um, threw some dust into the air, and approximately five young Lakota men who were concealing weapons threw aside their blankets and started opening fire. And from here, it is an absolute free-for-all. Women and children start to flee the camp, seeking shelter in a nearby ravine, some of which... Uh, some of the soldiers fanned out and finished off uh, some of the wounded. In less than a half an hour, 150 to 300 Lakota were dead or wounded. Women, men, and children. Black Elk was tending to his horses when he heard the sounds of the guns. They were close enough that he felt that he said he, quote, felt it right in my body. Quote, metaphorically, he, he was not shot. He drove his horses in quickly and then went to the lodge and dressed and he painted and he painted his face red and he wore a single eagle feather and put on his ghost shirt. He then grabbed the red stick he used in the ghost dance and a ceremonial bow. He'd let alone he left alone long before he was followed by a group of 20 young men looking to see the cause of the firing and ready to fight if it was needed. So from two and from the two and a half miles away, Black Elk can see that women and children were huddled up against the bank of a creek on a cold December day, and troopers were troopers were taking aim. Black Elk and the 20 uh, men sang a sacred song, and he and his men charged at then charged the men as fast as they could, singing an old war cry of Hoka Hay. It caught the soldiers off guard, and they panicked and they fled. As the men get closer to the women and children, they notice some of the damage that had been done. An Oglala man was shot through both legs. They draped him across the horse and took him to safety. Black Elk then found an abandoned baby and a shawl protecting it from the cold that also had bullet holes in it. He found a safe place for the baby and headed back out. Overall, they took about 200 Lakota back in from the cold that survived the initial massacre. When the warriors saw some of the troops, they told them to get the survivors out of the range, and Black Elk alone charged the line with only a bow to defend himself. He rode up to 20 yards of the line, likely screaming his name so that his enemies had known who would he, that he was the one that was about to kill them. 
pretty awesome i'm obviously this is an incredibly depressing part of the of the narrative but this that's pretty awesome (laughs) to charge them by yourself just screaming your name especially when you have a cool name like black elk that does not work for eric as he charged he felt a bullet go through his go shirt he told his men to save the captives and raise a bow and he charged the soldiers again this time the 20 other men with him charged with him and the soldiers retreated and black elk back headed back towards the village where again he saw even more damage again hodgkin's guns were used on women and children after this massacre or during this massacre he would say quote i could see children dying all over end quote black elk would later say he had haunted the site of the enduring survivors killed quote i did not know then how much was ended then i look back now on the hit on this high hill of old age i can still see the butchered women and men and children lying heaped and scattered all along a crooked gulch in plain view as i saw them with my eyes still young and i can see that something else died there in the bloody mud it was buried in the blizzard a people's dreams died there it was a beautiful dream and i to whom a so great a vision was given in my youth. You can see me now, a pitiful old man who has done nothing. For the sa- for the nation's hoop was broken and shattered. There is no center any longer. The sacred tree is dead. Jeez. That is him revisiting much, much later, uh, talking about Wounded Knee. In the aftermath of the Wounded Knee Massacre, it snowed that night as bodies froze over. Most of the warriors died near Spotted Elk's teepee, but bodies of women and children were found for miles around. Over the next couple of days, parties found survivors and died for their wounds. Infants were still found alive, being held by their dead mothers. On the American side, as many as 50 soldiers and uh, scouts had died. As I said before, the initial reports that 150 Lakota were killed, but it may as well, it might have been as many as 300. Black Elk is 27 years old, and like many other Lakota, he had revenge on his mind. The next day, a rogue group of Lakota burn down cabins and lure soldiers, and when they show up, they start firing at them at the banks of White Clay Creek, Black Elk being one of them. During this fight, Black Elk rubbed dirt all over himself, grabbed his rifle, and mounted his horse. He galloped up in a high ridge and charged down the hill straight at the soldiers, and he aimed his Winchester and gave a war cry. But it's not... This is a very dramatic moment. But the way he describes it, I wish he would have picked another animal. Because uh, Black Elk claimed his war cry was like a, a, a goose. beaver. Oh, a, a goose. goose. Yeah, well, if you know in his dream, there were geese. There were geese in his dream. There were all animals in his in his dream, not just geese. Yeah, I know, but now, he specifically called them out. I mean, by name, I guess. This is fair. Matt, could you do your best goose impression up for us uh, and see if this brings uh, terror? Oh my God. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna bring a freaking goose to your house and let it loose. 
and see what happens. I mean, that was like you were doing the psycho, like the <laughs> the sound of psycho when she opens oh. up. Play this back 30 seconds when you're editing and you'd be like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he he's sounding like a goose charging them, which had to be a bit. I'm, I'm sure it was unnerving. A man is coming at you with a with a bow. But um, yeah, he's screaming like a goose. War cried aside. Something must have been very off-putting for the soldiers, or they had to have been surprised, because Black Elk makes its successful charge and gets within a few feet before taking a few shots at the soldiers then returning back. He then gets back to the top of his ridge, and then he charges back again, making the same battle cry. Only this time, he goes back down, fires at the soldiers, only this time he is hit with a bullet. And he is hit in the abdomen and the groin. And to be blunt, it was a bad wound. Uh, Black Elk made it just back to his line before falling off his horse. An old man looked at the wound and saw the bullet had gone through his abdomen and was so deep, his intestines began coming out of the entry wound. Black Elk believed that he was a dead man and asked for his horse, and he even said that it was a good way to die. The old man then replied, You must not die yet today. You must live. Your people need you. There will be a better day to die. Black Elk then spends the next several months recovering. Um, and unfortunately, as Black Elk recovers, it isn't quite known what he does over the next couple of years. And just to give you an idea of how little he speaks about this time, in Black Elk Speaks, which we're about to go in into go into in a fair amount of detail here, he know he says that he gets married at this point, but he only says one sentence. He doesn't say his wife's name. He just says that he got married in six words in Black Elk Speaks. That's how little he talks about this time. What is known, you have to piece together from the missionaries who come looking to convert the Lakota into Christianity as fast as they could. And it's believed that Black Elk, like many other medicine men and healers, would be a good target uh, to go after. Converting a medicine man would carry a lot of clout for further conversions. Should the word They did it. We're, everyone should do it. Essentially, yeah. Uh, and they also, like... Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second, actually. Um, <laughs> should the word of Jesus Christ not be enough for conversions, priests would uh, put pressure on families. They would straight up start bullying these, uh, these medicine men. They would break ceremonial drums or even uh, start reporting the medicine man to the law that they were practicing. Again, this is banned. So anytime that they caught someone uh, practicing Sioux or pagan rituals, they would they would turn them in. Black Elk may have been more open to Christianity than some. The ghost dance did not live up to his expectations as a way of life. His first wife, who again he barely mentions, uh, she converts in the mid-1890s, and it has her children baptized in the Catholic Church. But at least through the turn of the century, Black Elk is still a practicing traditional Lakota medicine man. Even tells stories of being interrupted by a Jesuit preach 
who came into his tent mid-ceremonial song to break Black Elk's equipment. It isn't until his first wife dies in 1904 that he decides to convert to Catholicism and takes on the name of Nicholas. And even in that, there's two different stories that are essentially the same thing, so we don't know if Black Elk is telling a story in general or if he's telling his own personal story because he repeats it twice, only the second time. Uh, Black Elk comes to go see a sick boy. He's in the middle of a ceremony. A Catholic priest comes out, uh, comes into the teepee, throws his stuff out of the teepee, and Black Elk, like, apparently is just very brokenhearted about this. He's starting to pick up, and he just sits on a stone, and he just sits there and kind of just uh, cries for a while. Well, after the priest gets leaves the lodge, or the teepee, uh, it had to have been a lodge, sorry, I don't know why I said teepee. After he leaves the lodge, the the priest comes up and talks to Black Elk, and apparently that was the connection Black Elk needed to start tipping towards uh, Catholicism. Black Elk's conversion to Catholicism does appear to be a, a genuine one, though he still always has a foot in Old Lakota ways. He does convert to being a farmer, but is still a medicine man at heart. Uh, and he wants to go around with his newfound religion and help kind of spread the word. With the amount of area that there is to cover in western South Dakota, also Montana and Wyoming, a lot of the the missionaries are looking for others to kind of go out and preach. Black Elk is one of these that ends up kind of being allowed to go on and do these traveling ser uh, sermons. He would eventually be given credit for converting 400 uh, natives to Christianity. But he still practiced being a medicine man? That's the debate, because <laughs> where I believe he genuinely converted to Christianity. However, there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of evidence that when he would give these sermons, he would, he would say it in a way that still incorporated Lakota traditions. So like he, he really viewed as Wonka and Tonka as God, they were one and the same. That was not a, that was not a hard conversion for him. He then kind of, I don't know, necessarily believe the, uh, the Christ-like figure in the ghost dance and that necessarily converted over to him, but it wasn't that much of a leap for black elk to join into Christianity. In fact, he seemed like he was looking for some type of religious movement after the ghost dance. So, um, but yes, he, it almost, you kind of just get the same, the, the, the idea that he just couldn't help himself at times. And he right. would bring in some Lakota tradition or like he would jazz crap, up. Crap, 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 crap. Not, not it anymore. Not it anymore. Not it anymore. <laughs> Which would, really angered the priests, like, thoroughly. He proved to be more adept, and they started trusting him to go out farther and farther from the area, including Montana, Nebraska, and even going as far as New York to talk to the infamous Sing Sing prison in uh, about 30 miles north of New York City. How effective he was was really up to his audience. Some audiences were really engaging and seemed to have a genuine connection with what he was saying, while others would literally throw tomatoes at him. 
Personally, Black Elk suffers multiple tragedies. First, his, his first wife died in 1904, as we said. He had a, a son die in the early 1890s, likely of tuberculosis, but it's not really known. Uh, possibly could have been pneumonia or whooping cough. More children would die from tuberculosis or whooping cough in the coming years. And Black Elk would even come down with tuberculosis himself. Even And for a time, it even looks like it's, he's about to die. He even believed so, believing that when he checked into the hospital with tuberculosis, it was the closest thing to death as he had ever been. Keep in mind, this is a man who had seen both Wounded Knee, Little Bighorn, and had uh, been shot into the stomach, had his intestines had been shot out, and was in a coma for 12 days when he was 9 years old. And for this to be the closest to death, that had to have been something uh, terrible that he had to go through. Uh, he would catch tuberculosis in the early 19-teens and would suffer through sprouts of it for the rest of his life. So tuberculosis at this point, it's not the death sentence that it was earlier in the century. Um, I believe vaccines had started to come out or at least immunities were starting to build up. So it's not as terrible as it had been, but it does ravish through the reservations pretty hard. Uh, Black Elk is just lucky enough to to survive it. Survive it. I was going to say, damn, when did he get it? When he was 27? Uh, in the 19-teens. So oh, he would okay, have been okay. 50 around. Okay. Dang, he had it for quite a long time. <laughs> yes. Yes, he did. Through the 1920s, Nicholas Black Elk, again, that's his Christian name, would spend some time working for the church. Other Native American scholars realized that the last 40 years of trying to kill out Native culture, specifically Lakota cultures, it has an adverse reflect, uh, the adverse effect of we're not going to know anything about this culture once this generation dies out. There is a push from scholars, and especially from a man named uh, John Neidhart, that we need to start preserving these. And Black Elk, being a former Lakota holy man, healer, cousin of Crazy Horse, witness of uh, Little Bighorn and Wounded Knee, would be a pretty good candidate to get his thoughts down on paper. Einhardt uh, is earnest in wanting to talk to Black Elk to get his story out from Little Bighorn to the massacre at Wounded Knee. Uh, Neihart, depending on your source, is either a really good dude or the worst thing ever. Now, the sources that you kind of pick, um, like Michael Stoltenkamp is a Catholic priest who was, he and Lucy Black Elk, Black Elk's daughter, who would live in to be, to live into the 1970s, they were very upset of Nyhart because they did not want to talk about Black Elk's conversion to Christianity. Nyhart specifically wanted to talk about between big, little big, basically his life up to wounded knee. And they did not like that at all. Um, Joe Jackson is much more positive on him. Now, Nyhart himself, he's not a historian. He's a poet. So there's times when you're reading Black Elk Speaks where you can't take it verbatim, but you can you can get uh, a gist, uh, you, well, not a gist, 
you have to take it with a grain of salt in some sections because he does get very flowery with the language and he uses words that black elk likely wouldn't have known um because black elk never true never fully converts translating into english so when we get to talking about the book uh ben black elk uh black elk's son is actually doing the translating for him and he speaks black elk himself speaks very little english at this point he's also going uh blind so he can only um there's stories of when he was doing his uh, when he was speaking or if he was reading the Bible, he had to be within inches of the page in order to read it. So there's... I was going to say, one of those um, one of those photos you showed, it looked like he was completely blind, so... Yep. Neidhart visits Black Elk, Black Elk in the early 1930s, and he does what he can to help himself ingratiate himself into the family. He has Black Elk... Uh, make it like not Black Elk himself because he's getting into his 70s. Um, he has a teepee built and he will sleep on floors. He, Neidhart, will purchase food and they will eat uh, food prepared in traditional Lakota ways and even pretended that he loved, apparently Black Elk made just a horrible soup and Neidhart like pretended to enjoy it and apparently it was very mm, He can't say yeah, anyway. <laughs> He didn't have the heart to tell the old man that this was real bad. And he just kept sticking the it. spoon in the bowl and throwing it over his shoulder. Yeah. Like, he's blind. He'll never know. I'm sure it was, a, if he had a dog, it was a very well-fed dog. Whenever <laughs> showed up. Um, the two do seem to have a pretty genuine friendship. You also, and like where, where like, I enjoy this. It seems like Nyhart allowed black elk to talk about things he was not allowed to talk about for years. Uh, when he converted to Christianity, uh, Catholics, famous for their rigidness, uh, don't like you talking about what you were doing before. And he had a lot of priests who would scold him for bringing up Lakota ways when he would, would get caught talking about it. And you just get the sense when he's talking to Nyhart, he's just... He has that sense of nostalgia that he hasn't had in such a long time. It's very heartwarming to me. Um, and there's just an awesome picture that I'm going to probably use for the for the pick, for the thumbnail of this episode. And Matt, I'll show it to you in a second. Um, that I just, it's, it's probably one of my, fav my favorite pictures here, but we'll talk about it in just a bit. Um, Now, Black Elk, like I said, was approaching 70 years old and appears to be enjoying the experience. He is allowed to perform ceremonies and speaks of religious practices, including his vision that he has not been able to share for a long time. In the retelling of his vision, not only have the select few only ever heard, Black Elk would even stop and would sing the song that was in his dreams on a ceremonial drum. When the song was completed, however, the exhausted old man would then fall asleep and, well, <laughs> Nightheart would just, Nightheart and Ben uh, would just have to wait for him to wake up and then apparently he would just rattle off the rest of the vision. So, like, that's just a funny visual. <laughs> like, and then I went to the, that's funny. 
Near the end of the interviews, Black Elk becomes melancholy and tells Neidhart, now that he has told him his visions, he has also given him his power. And now that he was only a poor old man, all of his power had now left because he had now told a non-Lakota man. But the old man had one more request for Neidhart. Now, they, they will be talking for the next 20 years. Um, and before I go into this last part, I'm going to say I'm going to like kind of I'm going to kind of jump around because I want to specifically end the episode on this one paragraph. Black Elk will die <laughs> in uh, on August 17th, 1950, which is much later than anyone we have ever covered by far. I believe Annie Oakley might have made it uh, the longest and I can't remember when she exactly died, but I believe it was like. 1820, 1830s or so. Um, he makes it to 1950. But this trip to Harney Peak is just like very heartwarming to me. So I want to end the episode on this. Um, but before I before I start going into that, I do want to talk about Lucy Black Elk and Michael Stilton Camp. Really do like a not a press there's like i have a copy of his book um and he's very harsh on nightheart for not covering the christianity aspect and there are parts of black elk speaks that when black elk speaks is published that they try to that there is a push especially from lucy black elk and from a priest to kind of get black elk to uh go back on it that he really didn't mean it there's one confession called i believe it's called black elk speaks again where black elk is going through tuberculosis and he believes he is dying and there's a two-page rebuttal of black elk speaks where he says essentially i wish a nightheart uh would have allowed me to talk about my christianity my authentic christian conversion and would have been able to go on that but he didn't I would like to refute that book myself. There's another occasion where, again, Black Elk is on his deathbed, where he basically says the same thing. But outside of those two occasions, nobody really sees him repenting that much. It almost seems like a priest was telling him, by the way, if you die with this on your record, or if you die with this, um, you might go to hell. For the sake of fairness, I have uh, I will cover that, but I I do also want to say I do believe Black Elk's conversion was a a full and wholesome conversion. I just believe he also he wanted to keep the of the old. Yeah, he wanted to like he wanted to remember when he was younger, and also like it was just a shot of nostalgia when Nyhart was talking to him, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like he's not going to be donned. He's not going to be destined for hell because they, he wanted to perform pagan rituals or talk about pagan rituals from back when he was 27 years old. So again, black elk, uh, again, he's going to die in 1950. I'm going to start talking about like, this is the, the, the last end. This is like the, the epilogue part of it where we're going to be talking about, he has one last request for Jim Neidhart in the 1930s. And he just wants to go to Harney Peak, who physically Black Elk had never been. But if you remember back to his vision, that was where the grandfather took him uh, 
when he was nine years in old. In his vision. In his vision. So Black Elk even said, I had never been there in physical form, but I have been there before. But on the way there, there's, there's two amusing stories. Um, apparently, on the two-day trip, one of the grandchildren wanted, saw a nearby carnival and wanted to go ride a Ferris wheel. <laughs> and apparently it really took some coaxing by Black to get Black Elk on this Ferris wheel. And apparently he had the worst time. He was a, like, anytime somebody got on or off, they'd be near the top and it would rock. And he was apparently like white knuckling the bar. He was scared the whole time for a half blind 70 year old. That had to just be terrible. And as someone uh, who's, I get scared of those damn things. I'm afraid of heights. I completely agree with Black Elk. That's the correct response. Especially the ones where it's like those old rinkety seats that you're like, are, are, there's no seatbelt. It's just like a metal bar on your lap. Yeah. Well, this is a 1930s. Uh, yeah, so no telling what they look like. We're lucky if there was that steel bar. Maybe they just had to hold on to the back of the seat. Right. Apparently the grandchildren, by the way, were loving it, laughing the entire time. Look at the silly old man who's probably scared half of them. <laughs> they loved it because they were torturing him. Um, I wish I'd... And then the other story is um, they go to Rapid City and they're staying in a hotel. I think they're staying in a hotel or a lodge or something like that. And they see that a movie is being taken place. And I wish I would have wrote down the title. But um, if I think of it, I'll post it, post it on our socials. But they go and watch a movie. And it was a double feature. And apparently there was a, a woman who was not... When any time uh, the, the lead female character came on screen, apparently Black Elk in Lakota would utter bad, like underneath his breath. His breath. Uh, the word for that is shisha. So apparently, like, in the middle of the movie, she would do something he would interpret as inappropriate. And you would just hear him go, shisha, shisha. <laughs> <laughs> and just <That's> like, <laughs> I, I, I just love that visual also how insane of it he's watching a freaking movie he lives so long especially with TV yeah so they get to Harney Peak it is a ways up Harney Peak if you've ever hiked it it does take a while um, I think it took him two days to get up there or at least it took multiple hours for him to get there and I'm just going to straight read the rest of this episode um, from an excerpt on jo Joe Jackson's book because I think it is the best way to end this episode And it's also going to come with the context of maybe my favorite picture. Uh, is that a statue or is that him? No, that's him. Um, okay, so here we go. So on the picture, it is Black Elk in a semi-ceremonial garb. His, his legs are bare um, and he is holding a, a ceremonial pipe up to the wind. Um so they, they get to the edge of Harney Peak, and it seems like Black Elk had a, he was able to point out, like, I, the, the spirit took me there, the grandfather took me to this point here, and we looked over, and that's where he pointed, like, he, he apparently had a vivid memory um, from his vision of the exact spot that he was at. And then, uh, 
he gave a, quote, a long, elegant prayer similar to those he sent out at the Cooney table, now even more impassioned, as if this was his last chance to be heard. All over the world the faces of the living things were alike, and now he prayed to them. He had been told, when he was still young, and he believed in his ability and strength, that in difficulty I should send a voice four times, one for each quarter of the earth, and you shall hear me. Today I send the voice of the people in despair. He reiterated his vision as the gods had forgotten. His tears ran down his eyes. Years ago, he observed how hard it was to cry during the prayers and the lamentations, but today it was not hard. He reminded the grandfather's house when he brought them to the spot. The world's sacred tree was blooming. He promised to believe the shield of his people for all time. Now that the tree had withered, but he had still refused to believe it had died. It may be some little root with some sacred tree that the sacred tree still lives, he cried. Nourished, he pleaded again. Let it live again. Hear me, not for myself, but for my people. And then he did a ceremony, holding up his pipe for that to happen. And that is Black Elk. Are you sure he's pantless? Yeah. Oh, it looks like he has like a onesie on or something. Do you see that flap? Yeah, but look, right above it, you see how it's like wrinkled? Yep. But I think right. that's, uh, well, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. The picture is so grainy. Right. I mean, it's 80 some years old, right? <laughs> right. Uh, 90, actually. It's almost 100. <laughs> yeah. Man, he was allowed to do his uh, his ritual at the top of this mountain that he had never been As on. he should be. Yeah. Oh, I just really, I like that picture a lot. Get on that guy taking the picture. Yeah. Oh, this was well covered. I think it was his, his uh, son that had done it. Mm. Um, okay. What did you say his son's name was? Bill? Ben. 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 Good old B-E... N. B B E, good old Ben Black Elk. And now we're gonna rank him. Uh, are you satisfied? This is our biography round where we'll be handing him out negative ten points apiece to positive ten points apiece, depending on how well we liked his story. You want to know what I think? I think yes. he is <laughs> a. He was around for a lot of the crazy stuff that we had uh, talked about. Right. But he never, I feel like he, I don't know the whole time I was getting a vibe of, uh, he's a great side character. Yeah. Never, n not the star, but he was around. Oh, uh, remind me, what was the name of his role? It was a nine and it started with an N, um, medicine man, but they called medicine. it something. Hayoka. I hope I was way off. Why did I say it started with an A? I don't know. I don't know. Can, um, I, can I give you a counterpoint? Mm -hmm. Was Forrest Gump a great character and a great story? And he never led any of but he saw everything. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Depending on what point of view it was, it was his point of view. So he was the main character, but he never really was the main character, he never, was he? He witnessed a lot, but he wasn't a leader of. I don't want to say a leader of anything. That sounds harsh. <laughs> but 
It was that's a per- full life. I think that's a perfect analogy. He was the for- he was the Forrest Gump. <laughs> right, but that almost sounds insulting because Forrest Gump has an idea. Why? Because he did so much, though. Right, but Forrest Gump is like he's uh, a- wasn't. Uh, yes, he was a charmable uh, idiot, like on the right, IQ scale. Right. The story was great, but he sees so much, but he's just not in charge of anything. I would say, if we're just talking about his story now, just because now I, I think we need to view him as his story and not what he led. Right. The story's great. There's I a agree. lot. There's. What? I don't know if you touched on it and I just missed it or went over my head, but who did he marry? Did you go over that? He married twice. I did not write her name down because he didn't write her name down. Uh, Her name does exist. They had multiple children. I feel bad for not writing her name down. So did um, his kids go and then just like what conform to society or did they live on the reservation? Yes, they lived on the reservation. They lived on Pine Ridge. Um, Shoot, they could still be alive. No. No. no, because they were born in, like, the 1910s, 19-teens. Oh, so, like, okay. you had... And, like, Lucy Black Elk is his daughter. And she was... There was no debate on her Christianity. Ben, I believe, and again, if if for whatever, by some miracle, the family ever listens to this episode, because the family is obviously still living, uh, right. correct me if any of this is wrong... Lucy was very strong in her beliefs, and she was so upset that Nyhart wouldn't talk about the Christianity aspect of her father's life, because uh, she kind of she took it on herself to save her father's soul. Um, she was a full convert. She was also her and Ben uh, Black Elk. They were that first generation that had only known the Indian schools. They weren't on the plains. They had been fully. This was that first generation out. And you can kind of see them both. Like Ben would look would translate Lakota, so Black Elk could um, to, could tell the story. He was more open to it. And you just get the sense Lucy that wasn't her thing, or she did not. She was against that. Apparently, Benjamin was considered the fifth face of Rushmore. Allegedly, his mom's name was Kate. By the way, Kate Black Elk. Oh. But yeah, just the the Google quick Google search I did. I might be might be wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, if the family's listening, please write in. Um, but but overall, there is like less than a half a percent chance that they ever like care to listen to this. But all right, <laughs> tag them. Um, but <laughs> overall, I liked it. Um, again, I I didn't feel that it was like. Uh, too exciting. I mean, he was around a lot of exciting stuff. Um, he did, you know, do some stuff. Um, but mostly, you know, he was like a, what, a medicine man and just helped. Yep. That vision was wild, I, I will say. I mean, thir- it, it was enough to be 13 pages. So, <laughs> uh, overall, I'm going to give it like a seven and a half. Oh. That was so much better than what I thought you were going to give it. This is kind of funny because I was thinking like, I really like this story. Like I'm thinking like, I'm going to obviously be, I'm going to be above five. And I was thinking, I think I'm going to give it an eight. And I was like, I bet Matt's going to get like in the four range. And as you were talking, 
I bet he's going to give it like a four. Listen, and... you can be a good secondary character to life and have an exciting life. Yeah. Look at Forrest See, Gump. When you talk about like, <laughs> we do not get into Sioux religion at all. And my worst fear, honestly, is like somebody from the Sioux Nation like sending us an email like, here's why you're an idiot. Like, because <laughs> there's there's so much there's an aspect of his life that we never talk about in this podcast because religion never comes up and i just i don't know i i really enjoyed it but frankly frankly this episode i'm not kidding you i rewrote three times it took me over a month because like i i didn't know how to approach it do i go with just historical readings do i focus on the nyhart black elk speaks thing do i focus on the theot like and i tried to like blend them both but it took me a long time and there's even like books i didn't talk about so like the main sources i use and again i'm going to put a link in here it's called nicholas black elk by michael stoltenkamp uh black elk speaks of uh, that we talked about in nyhart uh Black Elk by Joe Jackson, and then there's even a book. Black Elk was in another, or basically co-authored another book called The Sacred Pipe that strictly goes into Sioux rituals. So, like, all the detail on the Sundance, on the, like, it's very good. I would, I will say it to the rooftops. If you have not read Black Elk Speaks or The Sacred Pipe and you're interested in Sioux, in Sioux theology or Sioux religion, those are the two I would start with. And then Joseph M. Marshall has a lot of good stuff too, but um, there was a lot of really, really good stuff that I had to pick through, and I was like bashing my head up against the wall trying to figure out what to cover. So I, this was infuriating to write, but I also loved it at the same time. Anyway, that was my long-winded way of saying I give him an eight. <laughs> <laughs> his score is uh, 15.5 next round be sure you are right and go ahead this is our morality round where we're going to be handing out negative 10 points apiece and two positive 10 points apiece depending on how good of a boy we thought Black Elk was um I mean he did the typical things uh, he, I mean he put that guy out of his misery before he ripped his skull off um, <laughs> shot that dude in an air with an arrow I am so surprised that. Can I just like I thought for sure I was gonna bring that up and you're gonna be like, oh yeah. I'm so surprised you remember that. I'm so happy. <laughs> I mean he cut the dog's head off with the spine and boiled yeah, it. Um that wasn't him, but he yeah, him was like, uh, he was part of the ritual. Yeah. Yeah, but see, I keep going back to his dream. Uh, I mean, maybe he was just still young and innocent, but the dream had a lot of peace in it. Sure, it said he'll be trying sometimes, but, you know, one of the things they gave him was, um, what was it for peace? It was the herb. Herb. Thank you. Um, so, I don't know. Overall, I mean, it, it, from what you said, I don't know, you might not have brought it up and it might not have been around, but did he hate the white man or did he hate? The citizens or no? Didn't seem like it to me anyway. See, I don't know. I mean, I didn't get that feeling either. So it's not like he had a whole bunch of hate in his heart, minus um, 
you know, the massacre, of course, but he was deeply religious and he was a holy man his entire life. And like, to your point, like you just said, as I almost like kind of talked over you, uh, he had plenty of reason to hate wounded knee, his cousin, sitting bull, um, little bighorn. Like he had plenty of reasons to hate Americans. And yet he had no problem talking to Nyhart, despite right. reports of the, you know, the whole Black Elf Speaks Again or, yeah. Right. Um, so I think I'm going to stay pretty, probably the same. I'm going to do uh, like an eight. Eight? Is that it's too not, high for you? or It's not a terrible score. Like, I, I'm at the point where, like, with this round, it's hard to judge, obviously, but what did he get? What did he do to be a ten? To me, Joseph Chief Joseph is a ten. Um, I'm going to take some points out for the dog sacrifice because that we've only had our puppy for like six weeks. That that really hurt me. <laughs> uh, I kind of forgot about that. Um, and then yeah, that that opened a wound. And then um, I get like. The soldiers were dying, and like, yes, he took a scalp, but he did probably he did kill. Um, spoiler for Counting Coup, he killed four four men who were already dead, and then he looted. Is that a cultural thing? Yes. Does that make it better? No. Sign of the times. So, but even then, I think that's if. And then I kind of get the point. If I I'm so against the man of his times argument because it's such a weak weak argument that I just dismiss it entirely. No, we've talked about it before too. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a seven, which I understand is picking nits. I don't know. I made this big stand over something just to give him one less point than you. Picking nits, he says. Uh, so that gives him a total score of fifteen. Next round, to hell with the consequences. We're gonna be handing out negative ten points piece to positive ten points piece, depending on if we think he was more crazy. Or if he was more clever. You're going to have to help me out on this one because, (laughs) I I, I mean, obviously not crazy. Obviously he was not crazy. Um, Maybe. That vision, 13 pages long. I mean, come on, bud. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't think he was that clever, though. There was nothing that he did that was like, oh, dang. I think this is where I need to remind us. Dead even is zero. A neutral score is zero. Zero is not necessarily a bad score. Right. I, I, I was leaning towards zero. I was hoping you had some, you know, some some things I might have missed. Or I almost yeah. did, I almost showed you like a zero mark uh, through the camera because I I don't think he was necessarily clever. Uh, he had a he hell did of nothing. A he did nothing to make people go holy crap or whoa that dude's crazy. Everything he did was either, you know, uh, you know, him, the times changing him, you know, forced to, you know, adapt or, you know, with his tribe, their customs. So, yeah, I'm, gonna go I'm zero. going zero. You're going zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I maybe people will get upset over that, but tell me where we're wrong there. But I think that's perfectly fine. 
All right, so that gives Black Elk, after the first three rounds, a positive score of 30.5. That means from, we're going to lock in his score for positive. So from here on out, we're going to be adding to his score. Um, if he had been negative, we would keep subtracting from his score. So next round, draw. If we got into a fight with uh, Black Elk, how screwed are we on 1 to 10? I'm going to do like mm, 3, 4. Really? I don't think uh, is that too high. I'm shocked because I was gonna go like 1.5 maybe. Like uh, he, okay. Well, you gotta think he though. He the only thing he killed were soldiers who were already dying. <laughs> right, you're right, you're right. But he did go on. Well, we don't technically kind of don't know because of after wounded knee, he went on that revenge. Yes. Brave. Yep. 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 So, I mean, if you piss him off enough, he will act. He will do it. Okay. Okay. I don't think three is so bad, then. Not that three was bad anyway. I was going to go 1.5. But I'm shocked that you actually have a higher score than I do in this round. I think that's the first time in the history of this round. It has to be. Actually, I'm going to look at this. We have the spreadsheet up right here. It has to be. Uh, I went slightly higher... Nope. Actually, nope, that fits, because I have to be higher. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, oh Johnny, no, nope, Johnny Ringo. Johnny Ringo. You were more scared of Johnny Ringo than me. Not more scared, but... Uh, oh, right there, too. Sitting Bull? Sitting Bull. Right there, George Custer. Nope, that's negative. Oh, Tom Horn. Nope, that's still negative. No, you're right. Actually, yeah, maybe you're right. So Tom Horn, Sitting Bull. It's only happened. Oh my God, Red Cloud. Interesting. It happened way more than we think. <laughs> well, like I'm just so used to you being like, "Ooh, I'm a trained U.S. forces," <laughs> which, to be fair, is a really, really good point. <laughs> like, I am not trained in that, so fine, but. I'm honestly shocked. I have a lower score for that. That's funny. Okay. Total score of five. Next round legacy. How well known is like is Black Elk on a scale of one to ten? Okay. As always, I had no clue who he was. Um, I think I've heard the name. Um, I feel like I should know him. Um, maybe this... we breeze by him. I will say, if you have taken a Native American studies class or if you have taken a college-level course that talks about Native Americans, Black Elk Speaks is the book they normally use as a textbook. I wonder if I have that book, Ben. <laughs> well, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I swear I've seen this book. I guarantee. I, when you held it up, I swear, before you said that, I went, God, I think I've seen that book before. Um, legacy again. I obviously I took a Native American history course in college. That's probably where I heard of them. Don't really remember much. I don't really remember much about college. So I mean, just because I never paid attention, not because I was a big party or anything. Chill, chill. Um, I still constantly think of that email we got where it's like, Matt, you are a history major. How do you not know anything? <laughs> That is why, okay? I never paid attention and I never studied. Plus all the uh, cocaine. You can say it. <laughs> We're all adults here. Right. Plus all the wild partying. 
Um, but with that being said, I'm going to give him, um, I feel like I should know him, but I'm going to give him a five. Again, that's, I'm surprised by how high you went. Uh, oh my God. Are you going I lower? Thinking, I was thinking the same range. I was just expecting you to go one or two, but oh, that very, it is freaky how close we are on, on our scores this one. I know. Um, shaking off I'm, the dust. I've already said my points. Um, if you've taken Native American course, chances are you've heard him. Uh, shout out to Quinn from Noble S. Oblige. As soon as he heard we were doing Black Elk, uh, he sent us a message like, I'm excited to hear this. I took this course in college, and I'm excited to hear this episode. So I want to go listen to them. They do all the Nobel laureates from uh, Albert Nobel, who obviously didn't win it, until they run out of people. So if you're interested in any of the Nobel uh, awards, Go go give them a listen. Um, hopefully so yeah. you like the episode. <laughs> yeah, hopefully if not, I'm sorry, Quinn. Like, this is if not, your plug is Quinn. getting removed, sir. <laughs> if he never speaks to us again, then that's what <laughs> yeah. we screwed this up tremendously. Uh, I'm going to go five. I think that's perfectly fine. Uh, ten is his round there. Next round, death bonus. Does he have a cool death story from one to two? I know I didn't talk about it a whole lot. He he just basically dies of old age slash tuberculosis. Here's the thing, though. I'm going to give him a half a point for living so damn long. He nearly died like three times. When he was nine, when his intestines were coming out of his stomach, and then when he, well, he didn't escape death, but when he actually died then. That, um, that does well. Um, I'm not going to give him anything, but I think 0.5 is completely fine. Like, I don't know. It's just, uh, by the way, I looked up, his son was born in 1899. Yep. He made it to the, did he make it to 19... well, I think Lucy or him died in either 1972, and I think one died in like 1984. Uh, he <laughs> died in he. I was gonna say he. I believe it was the 70s. So yep, he definitely died in um, the 70. I think it was 73 from what I saw. Yeah, who was the president then? Richard Nixon. <laughs> oh my gosh! Or was it Ford? No, it had to be Nixon. Well, 73 is tough because I think that's during the whole Watergate stuff. So maybe. Like, Jerry! Jerry, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's screaming at his radio right now, like, how do you not know this? <laughs> anyway, the uh, bonus, 0.5. Next round, counting coup, we're going to do his confirmed ish kills divided by 10. Um, I've kind of already alluded to this. I will give him credit for four, even though those men at Big Little Bighorn were basically they were basically dead. already dead. <laughs> so there's some gray area here. It doesn't sound it doesn't sound like he knows if he killed anyone during wounded knee when he made his charges, but I think four is a perfectly good gray area score, considering he killed basically dead men. Uh, that brings his total score. Two, 46.4 points, which is pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. Who does that bring him with? Uh, actually, it's had a bunch of 46s. That brings him right in Seth. line with Seth Bullock and Al Swearingen 
and Cochise. Doc That's Holiday. No, Doc's 60. Yeah, he was – oh, wait, wait. He was 46. Why was I thinking 64? I don't know. Johnny Ringo. Ringo. Um, Danny Oakley got a 52. 48 for Tom. Boy, he's – they're all negative. Oh. Like The negative still... 40, pretty bad. Right. Coach Jesus means they're bronze. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Coach Jesus is such a bad dude. Yeah, he wasn't great. Like, I like Cochise personally compared to Geronimo, who I think is way Geronimo, we put, like, really evil, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Negative 79. <laughs> oh, yeah. we put him as killing, oh, six people. No. Oh, six no, 60. 60 <laughs> Because that's how many died when he kidnapped uh, the Right, and he didn't even guy. care. Yeah, and he didn't care. So, screw Geronimo. Um, okay. Well, now we have to we have to draft. As Eric grabs his coin, remember both uh, we draft um, on our teams. We are up to I have fifteen on my team. Eric has sixteen. Once we both reach max of twenty, the rest will go into the free agent pool that we can add and drop whoever we want until we get to that final showdown and who's to see whose team wins. Eric. Let me see that coin. I have it. All right. I'm going to go Tails. Oh, Tails it is. I'm going to give uh, give her to you, bud. Or give him to you. You're going to pass? Yeah, I think I'm going to pass. I got Chief, Chief Joseph. I got Sitting Bull. I got Geronimo. I'm going to take him. Because the only I, one neither of us have picked up is Ringo. Yeah, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> the guy who I admitted on his episode that I only gave him an episode because I needed to get words off of Doc Holliday. <laughs> right, that's just right. just enough to give me an episode. <laughs> 46.4. So with that, Eric now has 17, which means since he is two up on me, I get first choice next round, correct? First right of refusal. Now, for those who didn't listen to our Pearl Heart episode, we're kind of changing how we um, how we pick the next person because I'm just going to have Matt pick a random number. So right now, Black Elk is number 33. We have to go from 34 to 40. So Matt, I need you to pick a number between 34 and 40. 37. 34, 35, 36, 30. Oh, I'm so happy because I actually did. I actually started like working on this one randomly because I had some time. We are going to be <laughs> all the stupid nicknames. We're going to be covering Liver Eating Johnson. <laughs> yeah, let's go, Liver Eater. <laughs> Outstanding. He sounds like a bad guy. Um, you'll you'll have to find out. I've never laughed out loud more in my life than than when I was like, I've only done one book on him, and I typically have like at least two. Black Elk. I had 
that there was a lot. I think there were six is what I think the total sources are going to end up being, if you include web, web-based. Um, with reading Johnson, uh, woof, woofta. Um, it's going to be a fun episode. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. So, okay, good. Uh, next time we'll do liberating Johnson, but I think for I'm now, glad I get to choose. <laughs> that's right. For now, I think that's it for me. Remember, if you like what you heard today, go ahead and like, and subscribe, leave us a comment on whatever podcast service you are listening on. Uh, we really appreciate it. And you can always check out our website, ranking76.wordpress.com, where you will find a link to all of our social media, our email. You can see the scorecards. You can check out the other episodes you may have missed. Um, we really appreciate it. I'm Eric. I'm Matt. We'll uh, catch you on the flippity-floppity-flippity. Bye! Bye!